this is uh, Funny Minds, and I'm your host, Lynn B. I'm Edward Bess. And today on our show, we welcome Frank King. Frank is a former writer for The uh, Tonight Show. He's a comedian, a comedian who deals and discusses suicide uh, prevention and depression. He's a speaker for TEDx, which we'll talk about a little bit more. And he made a very bold statement that I was really taken a little back with. And he's like, I know what it's like to look down the barrel of a gun. That got me right there. Welcome, Frank King, to our show. And we have a lot to talk about. No, I know what the barrel of my gun tastes like, not looking okay. down the barrel. <laughs> that would be if somebody was going to shoot me, then I would be looking down the barrel. <laughs> Yeah, this is my eye teeth. I didn't see down the barrel. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Ah. So, how did you get into comedy? How did you start writing on The Tonight Show? Oh, that's easy. Uh, fourth grade, nine years old, told my first joke. Teacher was hysterical. I had to go to the teacher's lounge. She was laughing so hard, and I thought, I'm going to be a comedian. <clears throat> Uh, let's see, three years of drama in high school, no good parts, no speaking roles. I thought, you know, if I write, if I do stand up, I can write, direct, produce, and star on my own show every night. So I, I just so happens there's a talent show last semester, senior high school. I did it. I won. Of course, I beat an accordion player and folk dancers. Not a big. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I told my mom, I'm going to be a comedian. She goes, you're going to college first. I don't care what you do when you get done. You can be a goat herder for all I care. But you're <laughs> going to be a goat herder with a college degree. So went to UNC Chapel Hill, got a couple of degrees and moved to the West Coast. Did my first open mic night. Halfway through my five minutes, I heard a voice inside my head say, you're home. 18 months later, I said to my girlfriend, now my wife of 35 years. Oh, I'm congratulations. Thank you. I'm going on the road to be a comedian. Do you want to come along? Thinking she'd go, hell no. She goes, <laughs> yeah. So we gave up our job, our apartment, threw everything we could into my tiny little Dodge Colt. And we were on the road 2,629 nights in a row, nonstop. Wow. Oh, my. Yep. And Welcome in that process, <laughs> that long trip, in that process, <laughs> Leno, Jay, Jay Leno was the permanent guest host of the tonight show and johnny would pull up on a friday johnny carson friday say hey i'm, I'm taking next week off so that meant jay had to cover four nights four monologues the following week so he started hiring road comics under contract to send in jokes to fax in jokes they called us fax writers okay mm -hmm. so i was faxing a dozen two dozen jokes a day and then when he got the job for real he let most of the contract labor go but kept some of us on and I stayed, you know, writing for him at a distance until he left for CNBC. That's incredible. Did you ever meet Johnny Carson? Uh, Johnny Carson, no. Jay Leno several times. Okay. Wow. Okay. Jay Leno cracks me up. I mean, I, I think he's that. so funny. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but when I had my first open heart <laughs> surgery and got into a regular room, the first person to call my regular room in the hospital was Jay. To, wow! Hey, heard you got heart surgery. Good thing you didn't have it in L.A. They take it out and leave it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's amazing. 
Nice guy. So I did I did comedy for about 10 years, 85 to 95. A little radio in there. And then when the comedy club started closing, my act was clean. So I jumped to corporate comedy after dinner, after lunch, conventions. Mm -hmm. Somebody said, what's the difference between a club comic and a corporate comic? About $5,000 a night plus travel. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm no math major, but I could, you know. So I did that until 2007, early 2008, then the last recession hit. And bookings dropped off 80% practically overnight. And uh, my wife and I lost everything in a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. And that's when I learned what the barrel of my gun tasted like. Wow. Mm. Yep. Spoiler alert. I did not pull the trigger. Uh, the audience usually laughs at that point. I say, it's okay to mm. laugh. A friend, of my, a friend of mine came up after a keynote recently and said, hey, man, how come you didn't pull the trigger? And I go, hey, man, could you try to sound slightly less disappointed? <laughs> That's how all that happened. So is that that's how you got into using your comedy for depression, for suicide prevention? And yeah, what happened was after the conventions <laughs> conferences started happening again after the last recession, the meeting planners and speakers bureau said, Frank, we love you, but we can't pay you five grand just to be funny. You got to teach the audience something. Like, what am I going to teach anybody? So I read a book by a friend of mine, Judy Carter called The Message of You, Turning Your Life into a Money-Making Speaking Career. And about halfway through, I thought, oh my gosh, I do have something to talk about. Because, because of my near, you know, near my brush with suicide, because mm -hmm. I live with two mental illnesses, because depression and suicide run in my family, they're more nuts in my family than in a squirrel turd. I thought, <laughs> if I got some training in suicide mm -hmm. prevention, I could keynote on that. Okay. Uh, not, not knowing how, how what a big deal suicide was in the U.S., 48,000 people really? died here in the U.S., one every 11 minutes. And so, wow. yeah, turned out to be a growth industry, unfortunately. Mm. So I've been speaking on suicide prevention. Oh, and the other hurdle I had was I've been a comedian two and a half decades. Who's going to take me seriously about anything? So I thought, how am I going to convince them I can do something serious? And my wife suggested a TEDx talk. So I, I applied to one in British Columbia. And uh, we live about six hours south of there. Mm -hmm. And got uh, okay. my, my first one. And I just did my ninth one in Hamilton, Ontario. And I just booked my 10th one, which is going to be in San Diego in July. Wow, so TEDx, so -E Technology Education... And design. design. What is the X? What is the X? X means local. Okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a TED Talk, which is once a year in Vancouver, BC, you know, like Bill Gates and Elon Musk. And then a local one, there's 3,000 of them in the world. The X means local. <laughs> I almost said to you, the X? Well, uh, Stormy Daniels and I, um, you know. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's, it's the idea we're spreading his legs in this case. Um, no, it's uh, X means local. So I've done okay. them all over the place. So when you go to these meetings, you're talking about um, suicide prevention and depression and 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 your own, you give them your own um, personal Story? experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, each, each set X is different in terms of the aspect, whatever aspect I'm talking about mental health. 
but my you know my origin story is always the same but you know i'm talking about for example i did one in san diego i'm sorry i did one in um what's that i don't even recall but it's called suicide the secret of my success dead man talking which is on chronic suicidal ideation and the mm -hmm did one in Durango, Colorado called Mental Health and the Orgasm Treat Your Depression Single-Handedly. <laughs> okay. <My> only, <laughs> only standing ovation. So, so it's one different aspect. But, uh, you know, when COVID hit, obviously that, that really increased. A of, especially a lot of kids, I noticed. Actually, during COVID, the suicide rate <clears throat> generally went down a little bit, and except in a couple of demographics, um, late teens and college went up. Right, mm -hmm. right, right, because yep. they, they had no outlet. I mean, they were too young to understand, you know, they're so used to being with their peers every day, and then all of a sudden they're isolated, and uh, it didn't go over too well in their age group. No, I, mean, I can't imagine at that age. You know, I, I think back, it, it feels like a million years ago because I'm 50. I'm <laughs> an old man. But um, at that age in time, you got up and you left your house. You didn't come home until it was dinner. You know, I couldn't imagine yeah. being trapped in my house. Yeah. yeah. I don't care about cell phones and computers. Still, trapped in your house for that, that length of time is just not what we're here for. Yeah, and you know... School's not just about studying. There's all all the extracurricular, you know, mm -hmm. the exactly, and the you know the chess club and the debates team, and I mean mm -hmm. all that socialization and mm -hmm. you know, yeah, so. and and they had none of that, so it was really it was very very hard for teenagers through those couple of years, and now now we're seeing the end results of a lot of what what happened to them. Yep. And every now and then somebody asked me during the pandemic, because I live with mental illness, they say, you know, how are you handling the pandemic? And I go, look, here's the deal. I've had two aortic valve replacements, a double bypass, a heart attack and three stents. I live with two mental illnesses. I came close to killing myself and I lost to a puppet on Star Search. This is not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. You lost to a puppet. <laughs> You beat out an accordionist and you lost it. Lost to a puppet. <laughs> See what goes around comes around. <laughs> yeah. And afraid so. So, well, you know, people with, people with mental illness or high functioning have a, have a self-care plan. You know, something you do every, things you do every day so you can get mm -hmm. out of bed in the morning, whether there's a pandemic or not. And so most mm -hmm. of my mentally ill friends have a, you know, they're high functioning, they have a self-care plan, as I do. Mm -hmm. And it's things you can control, diet, exercise, good night's sleep, meditation, a little medication, you know, things that you're within your control and you pretty much have to just let the rest of it go. Yeah. So we were well positioned to survive the pandemic. Well, that's like, you know, um, control. If you can't control it, you got to walk away from it. Yeah. You, you just have to. You just have to. There, there's no two ways about it. And look, none of us are going to feel like happy and do a jig and and be up and positive every single minute of every day of our life. We do, everybody has their moments. It's how deep those moments go and how hard they are. And are you gonna do something about it? 
when yep. you know, when you know that you have those moments that you need help and do something about it, as opposed to just burying it under a rug and pretending like nothing is wrong, nothing's happening. But uh, you were lucky enough. Well, first of all, you're lucky enough with your everything that went on with your heart, for God's sakes. I mean, like, you're very lucky to be sitting here. I feel I feel very privileged to be talking to you right now. You know, God, God really has a place for you on this earth. Yes, as I often say, I am living on borrowed time, and I'm upside down alone. So, no training value. No training value. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Do you... Go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. No, no. I interrupted you. Go ahead. Uh, the other day I was thinking about, I was walking the dogs, <clears throat> some reason suicide crossed my mind, not the act of it, but just the, you know, the concept. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, I'm 66. Why rush it? Uh, you know, <laughs> I've got that to do I was 36 facing 40 years. All right, let's think about this. But, you know, 66, I mean, how long have I got? <laughs> so I can hang in until whenever. So. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. well, yeah. I mean, like you're, you're. Um, I don't want to say healthy. You're doing well, but you know, you oh, look no. healthy. Yeah, you know, yeah. with everything that you've gone through, and you know, you're alive. There's things for you to do. There's there's a purpose for you in life. So you get out there and you do what you have to do, and and you you enjoy this part of your life because once you're dead, you're dead a long time. <laughs> You, yeah, you're not true. going back. You're not doing anything. So, yeah, and uh, people ask me occasionally, does uh, telling your story over and over at conventions and such, you know, my suicide, near suicide and so forth, does it trigger you? Does it upset you? And I go, no, you got it backwards because it helps people, other people, feel mm -hmm. like they can, you know, tell their story. Mm -hmm. it's, right. it's, it's very therapeutic. I have two mental illnesses. One is major depressive disorder you know, better known as depression. And the other one, and that's common. The other one is chronic suicidal ideation, which is rare. It means for people like me, the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. And I tell the audience, look, here's how small. My car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts unbidden. One, get it fixed. Two, buy a new one. Three, I could just kill myself. It sounds silly, but Almost every time I've spoken since 2014, there's been at least one person in the audience, sometimes more, that has chronic suicidal ideation. And almost always, they have no idea it has a name. They think they're just some kind of freak. Right. All alone. I had a young woman come up after a college presentation. She said, thanks for the keynote. I said, you're welcome. She goes, I've got to tell you, it made me weep. I didn't make you weep. She goes, you know, you know your story about the car, get it fixed, buy a new and kill yourself. I go, yeah. She was, I've been having those thoughts all my life. I didn't know that had a name. I thought I thought mm -hmm. I was just some kind of freak and all alone. And then you say that out loud. And I realized for the first time in my life, I'm not alone. And I wept. So that's one of the things that keeps me from killing myself. Is that, you know, I would probably, if I did, I'd probably take people like that with me who never had a chance simply to hear me speak. Right. Yeah. Wow. Is that's, that you? Uh, that's me. That's um. I do masters bodybuilding. At that's incredible. over sixty. Wow. The tan's not mine, but everything else. Is. 
and realized we were talking to a Greek statue. Yeah, really. My next contest is July, and I'm I've been working out hard and dieting and you know keto and fasting. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're doing a keto diet? Okay. Yep. Since uh, January first, two thousand eighteen, I've been doing keto and then inter intermittent fasting. Oh yeah, yeah. Currently, I'm doing. Uh, I eat six hours. I take thirty six hours off of eating, so mm -hmm. thirty six six. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've done it, and I know a lot of people that have that that have done it and it has worked. Yeah, it's, oh, uh, that sounds interesting. I could lose. I, I'm. I could stand to lose twenty five pounds. So you eat for six hours, or you eat something. Yeah, you eat during you eat during a six hour period. Usually, it's two meals, and then normally that you take eighteen hours and don't eat. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I eat from six in the morning generally till noon. And then I don't eat again until six the next morning. So you, you get eight hours of the fasting while you're sleeping, which is a right, bonus. right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And you can have, you'd have a chicken broth with cream or MCT oil. You can mm -hmm. have coffee with cream or butter or MCT or MCT is coconut oil. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, apparently it's one of my superpowers that I can not eat. Yeah, I mean that's that's really the, the you just get used to it though. You know, once yeah. you do it for a little while, it, it just gets easier and you just get into a rhythm of it. And mm -hmm. I, I do it too. Like I'm I'm in front of the computer and it's like <laughs> sending out invitations to be on the podcast or working on affiliations or sponsors or you know this that and the other thing. Uh, just started a um a YouTube channel. Going to get into TikTok. You know, so I could sit there the whole entire day. And the only time I get up is to go to the bathroom. I could just, but I, the one thing I don't do is I don't drink and I don't eat. The not drinking is the worst part. I really should. So now I have like a bottle of water there all the time. I don't care about eating. I'm just so focused on the computer and what I have to do and getting my job done, sending out thank yous. And, you know, um, so the eating part of it is, is easy, except for when I go away. When I come down here, then I want to eat. Or if I go away with somebody, I have to eat. But if I'm home, I don't have to eat. <laughs> it's well, like really strange. Should probably drink a lot of water. My um, my urologist, um, actually, my veterinarian said to me because I had a UTI, urinary tract infection. Mm -hmm. um, he said the solution to pollution is dilution. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the more you drink water beverages you know like the, the better you know the thing that way the bacteria doesn't have a chance to you know you're constantly flushing it out yeah you know. so you have a family history of suicide who's that yeah my grandmother died by suicide my mother found her my great aunt died by suicide my mother and i found her i was four years old i screamed oh my and, goodness yeah and it's it's gruesome when, when we found her it was yeah, yeah, that's not something you really want to walk into a room or, you know, wherever you found. That's not something you want to do. No. And um, so trigger warning, if you're easily triggered, this story is horror movie horrible. If you want me to share it, but I just want to warn your listeners. They may want to, you know, if they're easily triggered, they might want to mute for 90 seconds. Go right ahead. Whatever, whatever you know, whatever you want to say, we're welcome to hear. Okay, I just don't want anybody to, you know, be you know blindsided by the story. The 
after my mother found my grandmother nine years later, she couldn't get hold of my great aunt on the phone. And so she got worried given the family history, knew my great aunt was depressed, put me in the car. We drove over to my aunt's house, let ourselves in. Nothing out of place till we got to the kitchen. And then strangely, everything that should have been in the refrigerator, an old Loctite refrigerator with a latch, was on the counter, the milk, the butter, the eggs, the cheese. And if you're old enough to remember, refrigerators back then didn't have a magnetic strip to hold the door closed, they had a latch. Right, so right. You crawled inside and pulled the door to, there's no getting out. Right. And that's what my great aunt had done. She had crawled inside <clears throat> and pulled the door to, to die by suicide. And at some point had changed her mind <clears throat> and tried to claw her way out. And so my mother, not realizing all this, goes over and grabs a handle on the refrigerator and I'm holding on to my mother's skirt tail. My mother swings the door open and my great aunt falls out and pins me to the floor. So our fate, we're face to face and she's got, you know, face frozen at last moment of horror. Wow. Yeah, that's why I screamed for days. Wow. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's kind of a tough, for, for yeah. For you at that age, I mean, that, that, that's what you in the land of PTSD. <laughs> yeah. You and, know? and if you are already hardwired for depression, suicide, <clears throat> you're that mm -hmm. close to an actual suicide, and I don't think you get much closer, then yeah. the chances of you seriously thinking about it later in life go up. And of course, I did seriously think about it. So. Yeah. Right, right. You ever hear of uh, EMDR treatment? Yes. Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've actually I've actually done it and uh, very effective. Very yeah, that effective. and um, here in Oregon now, with a psychiatrist under a psychiatrist's care, mm -hmm. in microdose on psilocybin, which is mm -hmm. the psychoactive ingredient in magic mushrooms. Yep, and apparently very effective on PTSD, depression, and substance abuse disorder. <clears throat> yep, and they say. It may not just be a patch. It may actually be a fix, kind of a rewiring. So um, as soon as I can find a psychiatrist who doesn't have a waiting list, I'm going <laughs> to go and give it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've heard uh, about that as well, and I've heard good things so far. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how, how far we've come uh, oh. since, you know, growing up. And it, it, there was no ADHD when I was growing up. There was no. I mean, I'm sure there was, but we just weren't but aware it, of it. It wasn't diagnosed. It know. was just a, we, we considered it just a kid that was a big pain in the ass. Yeah. yeah. You um, know, I I probably had a little ADD when I was a kid, but as you were, as you said, there was no official name. The only name yeah. he's got ants in his pants. That was yeah. exactly. <laughs> or he's ex band boy, or you yeah. know, he's the class he's clown, or yeah, yeah. he's. Class clown, yeah. I imagine a goodly number of comedians today were class clowns. Oh, yeah, that'd be me. <laughs> I was the class clown. Yeah. So, yeah. But we, we, yeah. we've come such, such a, a far, far distance with mental health. I mean, as far as awareness, it's <clears throat> much more out in the open. People are more, right. more honest about admitting it or discussing it. And yeah. um, mm -hmm. it's just a shame that... Um, we weren't that far ahead that, that those years, you know. But that, but that's a, that's how we evolve yeah. in life. You know, you evolve, you do a lot of things, you know, everything evolves every day. So, you know, and 
10 years from now, mm -hmm. who knows what, you know, what life is going to be like and, and how easy maybe for some people things will be that were very hard as of today, you know, mm -hmm. so you don't well, know. Eight out of 10 people who die by suicide in the U.S. currently are men. Mm -hmm. And part of the problem is they were raised as I was. Big boys don't cry. Mm -hmm. So they don't reach out for help. Yep. And if, if they don't, then you can't help them. Um, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, and same thing with going to doctors. Guys don't like going to doctors. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, men tend to ignore or not take care of their mental and physical health. I, a couple mm -hmm. of friends of mine died of prostate cancer and colon cancer, and I would wager neither one of them ever had a PSA test or a colonoscopy. Because if mm -hmm. you take either one of those early, they're imminently treatable. Right, yeah, absolutely. right. Yeah, but if you wait till you know you got a pain in your lower back and well, it's cancer in your bones because your prostate's you know the, the size of a grapefruit. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, men are very bad that way. They very, are bad. Very that bad. Way. Yeah. Whereas women, women you know, run for everything. <laughs> well, and I'm like that in that, and I was discussing this with somebody else who had chronic physical ailment. I you know I have heart disease and so forth. I'm seeing a doctor all the time. So somebody's looking under the hood all the time. Yeah. And you hear you hear stories every now and then about, well, you know, he went in for a chest x-ray and they took the x-ray and damned if he didn't have like an aneurysm, like, you know, where mm -hmm. the, you know, the artery is blown up and it's about to explode. But, but because they were in for chest, well, chest x-ray, they caught the aneurysm. Yeah. I had, a, I had a friend who had a colonoscopy and an endoscopy, same time, young woman, young as in 35. Right. And because her doctor said, look, you're having the endoscopy, we might as well do the colonoscopy same time. They found polyps and, you know, uh, precancerous. Mm -hmm. So if she hadn't mm -hmm. had the endoscopy, she wouldn't have had the colonoscopy. The, the, the cancer would have gone undetected until it. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yep. I know. I know that's something that I'm very bad about. My doctor, every time I go for my yearly physical, she says the same thing. And I'm like, but that's an exit only. And now it's like, you know, everybody, everybody's like on me and I'm going to have to do it. I have to, I have to just relent and I just have to do it and get it over with. And it's no fun. Uh, I have a tip for you. They normally give um, propofol mm -hmm. or per se. And, and fentanyl and uh, opioids make me wretchedly sick like i throw up like lindsey lohan after a three-day weekend and <laughs> I, I don't want to mess around with fentanyl anyway and so yeah really when, when the doctor said to me we're going to give you a verse said no he said propofol and fentanyl and i said no we are not <laughs> he said we're not i said no we're not we're going to give me propofol and benadryl which kicks up the effectiveness of the propofol without the opioid in, in the mix. And oh, said, that's very we, interesting. Yeah, so I asked him, say, look, I don't need the fentanyl. Just have, have a Benadryl and propofol. Um, and he said, and if we don't, I said, then I'm finding another doctor who'll do it because mm -hmm. I'm after all my procedures, uh, you have to advocate for yourself oftentimes and right. tell them what you will and won't do. And I, I know myself. I mean, I get so nauseous from opioids. I mean, I just I almost had to spend the night in the hospital after my first colonoscopy because I was throwing up so hard. Wow. wow. 
that's how bad it is. And so I said, I'm not, no, I'm not. Just give me some Benadryl. Right, right. The, the way I discovered it was, there's a there's the uh, echocardiogram, you know, where they do the sound on your chest. Mm-hmm. And if it's an aortic problem, which I have, I, I was born with a malformed aortic valve. They do a transesophageal echocardiogram, which means they, they put it down your throat because the aorta le- lies right by the esophagus. And the thing they put down your throat, it's like a black and decker snake light. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so that's when I discovered the first time I had ben, uh, propofol and Benadryl, and it worked very well. The first time I had Versed in 95, they didn't give me enough because they were just beginning to use it and they'd lost some patience because they gave them too much. So I remember every glorious moment of that 11 minutes with a, that thing down my throat. Oh um, my yeah. God. I sat up after she told <laughs> Goes, that you not want to go back and have anything done. Yeah. She goes, Frank, are you okay? I said, yes. And I have a whole new respect for several porn stars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, God. God. I, I, you know, I, my colonoscopy, I mean, the, the propofol was, all I kept thinking about was, this is the stuff Michael Jackson died with, you know, taking, <laughs> obviously. Yep. But um, it's remarkable how, how it works. I mean, it was just a matter of, it, it was instant. It was, bam, you're gone, you wake up, and it's over. I mean, it was it was like, I don't do well with any, with any of that stuff. So but, um, that, that's another one of my fears. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad at all. I mean, the, the worst part about it was when it was over, just that feeling of the gas, like gas pains, like you, uh-huh. you just have so bad, you know, your stomach hurts from gas and you just well, fart it out. W- it. Women are used to that, you know, having <laughs> babies. So, yeah. The propofol um, has a short half life. It's out of your body pretty quick. You sober right up. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it, it has an amnesia effect. So, you may not remember what the doctor said after you got done. Uh-huh. That's why you take somebody with you to drive you home and tell you what the doctor said several times over. You know, I, 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 <laughs> oh god, I know. I'm I'm really like considering it. I guess I'm gonna have to do it. Yeah, yeah it's you know, know it's, I have I have okay. I have to I have to break down, but you know. Yeah, because you know they get. The last time I had it done, they took two polyps out, no, non-cancerous, but polyps nonetheless, mm-hmm. had they been, had they remained there. Uh, so, and they said, look, Frank, we got the two polyps. Yes, yeah, not going to be 10 years this time. It's going to be five years because we, now that you've yeah. had polyps, chances are they may come back. So, you know. Yeah, I had to say, I had, I had one. It was not cancerous, obviously. They just removed it and they said, yeah, you got to, you'll come back in five years instead of 10. So is it five years for you? Aren't you? About yeah. Maybe we could go as a family deal. Yeah. <laughs> a twofer. <laughs> yeah. Can we get a discount like BOGO? Buy one, get one. <laughs> yeah, like BOGO. <laughs> so are you are you still doing like stand-up comedy? Or are you doing any comedy clubs or uh, not comedy clubs, no, because they a they don't pay well. B, you know, the audience is probably average twenty three years old. 
Mm. Okay. Yeah, and I'm 66. The only thing we have in common is an unpaid student loan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean yeah. we're not going to get forgiveness? <laughs> and also, I would hate to be starting comedy now because the, the audience is so hypercritical. Yes. You know, they get, they get their toes stepped on. Mm -hmm. You know, you say the wrong thing uh, and they come after you online. So I do, I still do comedy actually, but <clears> I only do it on cruise ships. Oh. oh. Do comedy on cruise ships and I do speaking, you know, on land for conferences. Yeah. Right. The suicide. And occasionally I'll say, look, I'll do the suicide prevention keynote in the morning. And I know you have an awards banquet that night. I'll do 45 minutes of stand up. So. I often toss it in as added value. You know, I'm there anyway. Might as well. Sure. sure. Yeah, that's true. And you're doing podcasts, and and which is a great thing to to get your message out to a lot of people, which is great. I think it's wonderful. I think the cruise ship. Well, yeah, the great. Cruise. I mean, that's yeah. The um, I don't have a podcast of my own currently, but I try to guest on the podcast at least twice a week. Okay. You guys do all the heavy lifting. You do the editing. You send me a link and an image and some swipe copy. And then I have a young man, a friend of mine. Uh, I pay him to put it up on all my social media accounts. Yeah. Okay. So I get, I get the SEO, you know, bump just like you guys do. Sure. So, yeah. I tell well, my speaker, co speaker coaching clients, you need, if you don't make money speaking and get good SEO, you know, be found mm -hmm. on Google. Do a couple of podcast guest spots a week. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're gonna start doing um, spots where we we're gonna we're gonna be on other people's podcasts just to to push our brand and push us. Uh, can I make a suggestion? They have. Sure. Yeah, the what I tell my clients is I use a service called PodcastGuests.com. Yes. Guys, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's a great way because you know every twice a week you get an email, podcast looking for guests. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Some someone um, that I met on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> she's a producer, director of a. She had suggested podcast guests, so you know I'm gonna look into that and get started with them, so that you know we. I I actually what I what we do is I come down. I'm from Jersey, and we film down in Florida. So I come down every ten weeks, and you know we do three days of podcasting. So ah. we'll introduce you know, in those three days that we'll do, we'll be the guests on some podcasts. So we'll we'll do our own podcasting and we'll be a guest on podcasts. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's good for your, you know, it's good Google juice. Oh, mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely, you know. So, so do you take your wife on the cruises? Is she allowed to go? Well, for the last 13 years, after the bankruptcy, she had to work because we needed health insurance. Okay. So, had a full-time job. That's how we covered the medical expenses. You know, they, they had great health insurance. Um, she just retired this past November. Um, okay. Because I got Medicare. And now she has Medicare, so we don't have to worry about the health insurance. Yeah. Right. And she went on my very first cruise back in the day. And then she likes staying home. <clears throat> doesn't like flying. However, we live in, we live outside Eugene. So if I was going to do an Alaska cruise, we could take the train to Seattle uh, and she would never have to fly. We just take the train up, take an Uber over to the, you know, the port. Oh, okay. Then, you know, reverse the process on the way home and never get on an airplane if you're going to the Alaska cruise. So she's got, she's got serious flying phobia. And not just didn't like to, you know, 
Mm. Yeah, I, it's well, I, I was so in the, common though. Yeah, oh yeah, and my, I wrote a joke about it years ago. I'm in the bookstore, and there's all these books on conquering the fear of flying, and I thought to myself, you know what? If you're flying, it's working. Where's the book on fear of crashing? That's yeah. the one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is, if it's your time, it's your time. If, it, if the plane's going down, there's nothing you're going to do about yeah, it. You're going down. My, here's my problem. What is, what is not my time? What is, the, what is the time of the guy next to me? What if I'm just going <laughs> Right? <laughs> so have you written any books? Do you plan on writing any books? Yeah, uh, I'm co-author on four books on men's mental health. Okay. Yep, uh, they're called Guts, Grit, and the Grind. It's a it's an anthology. Each book has twelve guys, twelve stories. Each guy has an issue: bankruptcy, mm -hmm. divorce, substance abuse disorder, and then they talk about how they're coping. And we hope that other men would pick it up and see their problem and think, "Well, if that guy did it, I can." Right, mm -hmm. right. Men, men tend to take advice from men, mm -hmm. and. We made it look like an automobile owner's manual because figured maybe guys actually pick it up. And it's full of automobile metaphors. Like, don't you wish men had a check engine light on their brain, you know, for their mental health? And the light comes on and you go to the mental <laughs> yeah, <back. really? laughs> That puts them up on the rack. Well, Bob, of course you're depressed. You're two quarts low on serotonin. No. <laughs> so they're funny and, you know, they got exercises and stories and anyway we we thought we'd be lucky to get 12 guys to be honest about their mental health we ended up getting over 60 guys wow, wow. yeah so what was going to be one book became four books wow wow so you have a series that's great yep yeah my 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 12th grade english teacher would be flat freaking amazed you have what <laughs> four books <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? It, that's that's huge. I mean, it's it's so it's it's it's, it's, it's a great it's accomplishment. Needed. You know, it's it's definitely needed, and um, yeah, I would have to agree that there probably isn't enough. There's a lot of information out there, but yeah, not specifically geared towards guides to get guys that's, out of their shell. That's exactly why we did it because my co one of my co-authors teaches suicide prevention to first responders, mostly men. Mm -hmm. Okay. And she went looking for a book <clears throat> on men's mental health to give to one of her students and couldn't find anything and thought, well, there's a vacuum. So she contacted another friend of mine and the two of them, two women contacted me and they said, look, we're writing a book on men's mental health. Would you make it funny and add the metaphors? And I said, wait a minute, you two ladies are writing a book on men's mental health. Don't you think you might need, I don't know, an author who's a man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a little testosterone, a little credibility. Yeah. <laughs> you take it from a woman's point of view is a lot yeah. different. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know what the strange thing is, that's probably not strange. It probably makes sense. We sell more books to women than we do to men. And wow. I think it's because women have a man in their life, they just can't figure out how to help. And so they yeah. that's yeah. Wow. I see that. Yeah, that's yep. interesting. That's very interesting. You are very interesting. Oh, thank you. I I've had I've enjoyed talking to you today and listening to everything that you've had to say. It's very no, really, really interesting. <laughs> Enjoy talking to you today. 
I know. I, I know. Once you get past the purple hair, it's a Joyzy. <laughs> I'm a Joyzy girl. Joyzy girl. Tell yeah. you. Could be worse. She could be from Brooklyn. Oh God. But no, absolutely. I mean, this is this is. Um, these are you're the type of guest that I love the most because you really give people a lot to listen to. Good, good information. Uh, and it and it's really it really pertains to everyday life, right? You know? Right, it does. Uh, yeah, well, you know, maybe maybe someone listening or listening to the replay <clears throat> that has chronic suicidal ideation, and up to this moment, they had no idea that had a name, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know what? I mean, that absolutely. That, yeah, that's very are. important. It, it is important, and you know, I am going to put that in the description. You know, so. Because I do have a lot of young people that listen and um, to our podcast, so I'd like them to be aware that. So, like you said, when you met that girl, she wasn't aware that there was a no need mm-hmm. to what was happening to her, you know. And and that's very important. It, it and people, in in all honesty, people need. I knew uh, I had a situation. I knew I needed some help. And it didn't bother me to um, call, get a reference, and you know, see see a counselor, see a psychiatrist who represent, you know, recommended a counselor, and it worked out great. You know, it helped me to um, realize what was going on, what was happening, yep. how to deal with it, and how to take care of myself and move on. And only because I said I need help. You know, well, I need some help. Part of the problem is, I really do need some help. Yeah. Yeah. No, but there's a stigma involved. You know, there's a stigma surrounding mental illness, another stigma surrounding thoughts of suicide. So people are a little shy about, mm-hmm. I didn't tell anybody I was <clears throat> mentally ill until my first TEDx at age 52. I came out on stage. Oh, really? Yep. My wife didn't even know. Oh. At one That's point, awesome. I worked. Uh, I worked for a, a hospital here in Tampa, and I was in uh, case management. And for a period of time, I would work on uh, people coming into the hospital that needed to be um, admitted inpatient for psychiatric. So I had to deal with the RNs from the insurance companies and go through their case study uh, to see if they meet qualifications to be inpatient. And the one word that you would say that would automatically get them in was suicide ideation. Yep. That was that was the key. If you can say a million things, that they're thinking about this, they're doing this, they're, 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 their crayons are talking to them. You know, it's the sky's <laughs> the limit for what you hear. But the minute you hear the words suicide ideation, that's like, drop, drop it, it's over. Put them in. Yep. They're, they're going yeah. inpatient. So yep. it is a very strong, uh, you know, suicide ideation is is a thing, and uh, and you making more people aware of it, you know, is it, wonderful. It's wonderful. I re- I really think it's a great thing. Right. Um, it's tough to talk about, but it's an it's an all day every day for some people. Uh, yep. That battle it. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and here's a tip. If you go to the hospital, you're having a psychotic break or you're having a bipolar episode and you go to the emergency room and, and you're waiting and waiting 
my suggestion is because I've had a heart attack. I know this works. Um, when you when the nurse asks you what's wrong, well, I think I'm having a psychotic break, and I do believe I'm having a heart attack. Those two words, heart attack, they will. There is no waiting. They give you your own little triage unit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Then then all of a sudden everything is stat. Yeah, exactly. You, know? you want your own little team, just drop the and I think I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> yeah, it's the big one. It's the big one, Red Fox. <laughs> I'm coming. Yep. But it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Oh, my and, pleasure. Uh, I, I really am very happy that you accepted the invitation. And oh, to come yeah. on the show. And for our, all of our listeners, again, this is Frank King. Please look up his books. Uh, listen to what he has to say. Listen to the episode. You'd probably be very educated in a lot of different areas. And maybe there's someone out there that it, it you're mm -hmm. going to reach. And if you reach only one person, it's one of the most important things in the world. Yes. And if you're looking for me online, just type in the mental health comedian and I'll come up. Ah, okay. The mental health comedian. The yep. mental nice health and, comedian. I like nice that. Easy. I like that. I like yep. that title. That's really a great title. Yeah, well, all Frank, my I, again, all again my I thank you. Oh, yeah. And, thank you. Um, you know, uh, we are Funny Minds, and you can look us up, funnyminds.com. And if you go on the website, um, you'll see all the platforms. We're on video, on um, Spotify, and YouTube. Everything else is regu regular audio on all the regular platforms. You will see uh, our store. We have a store where we sell silly little things that say funny, funny minds. And there's two organizations that are very, very dear to us. And that is Women's Breast Cancer and St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So you'll see a big purple bow there. And uh, if you can, please donate to those two organizations. Um, we would be very happy if you could help because they need help in so many different ways. And they've done so many wonderful things. And you'll find our emails on there. If there's anything you have to say, you like, you don't like, maybe there's someone you know that would be great being on our show. Just drop us a line. We listen to everything everyone has to say. So and with that, can yeah. I close it? Can I close it out like a comedian? I'm gonna close it out. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Here we go. <clears throat> if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your friends. If you did not enjoy this podcast, we hope you have no friends. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. That was great. Frank, that was great. So to all of my audience out there, be happy, be safe, be kind, and always remember to smile and laugh because laughter is the best medicine. So I say goodbye and I thank you again and you thank have you so a much, wonderful Frank. day. Bye, Frank. Bye, See you guys. Be well. <laughs>